Great to see you here. Glad to have you back tonight. Trust you've had a good Mother's Day. Thank you, Olivia, for ministering your music. We appreciate everyone who participated in our service tonight. During our uh, offertory, we had some different instruments tonight. Uh, Colby was playing the mandolin. And Katie was playing that box. It's called a cone, I am told. And Katie and Rick Gerber made that. So, pretty awesome. So, thank you all for uh, your participation in our service this evening. Tonight we are going to consider Bildad's speech and Job's response to that speech. It comes from Job chapters 8 through 10. As we work our way through Job, we're going to be taking bigger and bigger and bigger sections. So just make you aware of that. That doesn't mean the handouts are going to get longer and longer and longer. Uh, it just means that we're going to look at more of this material at one time. What we have before us is more of the same. However, what we have is even more of the same. Job and his friends are becoming increasingly entrenched in their positions as the rhetoric escalates. So we're going to hear more of what we've already heard. It's just said with more emphasis. It is said more emphatically. These positions are are going to be held with with a greater earnestness, if you will. And that's why we're going to look at these next chapters and much bigger chunks, because the argument doesn't really advance very much through these mid-chapters of the book of Job. We have the same material coming over and over and over again, which often happens in discussions and arguments that take place. After a while, there's nothing new that it's said. It's just the same material gone over and over and over again. You've been in those kind of arguments, you've been in those kind of discussions, After a while, there's nothing new that is said. It's just reiteration of all the past details. That's pretty much the middle section of Job, and I'll try to give you a flavor of that beginning next week. But tonight we look at Bildad's speech. Bildad affirms the justice of God in chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. Bildad rebukes Job for his empty words. How long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth be a mighty wind. Job has just defended himself and had a rather scathing word for his friends that they weren't much comforters. They weren't much help to him. And Bildad just lets all of that go right over his head. He doesn't address any of that. He doesn't talk about what uh, Job accuses them of. He doesn't defend himself or others. He just enters in where Eliphaz left off. One might even begin to wonder if he really listened to what Job had to say. Uh, And sometimes people don't. Sometimes people, while somebody else is speaking, don't really listen. 
They're just working on their own defense. They're working on what they're going to say next. And uh, what Job says just completely goes over his head and he's back in the same themes that Eliphaz was. Number two, Bildad asserts that God does what is right. Does God pervert justice or does God the Almighty pervert what is right? Bildad asserts plainly what Eliphaz only hinted at. And that is that Job's children were slain because of their sin. Job 8.4 If your sons sinned against him, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. I think the NIV has it right when it states in Job 8.4 When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. That's what he is declaring. He's saying that the reason that Job's children died was because of the sin of the children. Now, the children weren't perfect, and the children are not described as Job was, of being the most righteous children on the face of the earth. But we do know that Job interceded for his children, and he interceded for them with the thought that he didn't know what was going on in their hearts. And he was concerned that maybe in their hearts they had sinned against God, which means that outwardly at least, They were walking in accord with the will of God. Outwardly, Job was not aware of anything that his children needed to confess, but he still was concerned about their spiritual well-being and growth nonetheless, and prayed for them just in case there may be something that was going on or wrong in the inside. But we know, because we know Job chapter 1, that we know that Job's children were not killed because of their sin. We know of the contest between Satan and God. We know what was taking place. And so, of course, Bildad was wrong. Number four, Bildad asserts that if Job were innocent, then Job would not be experiencing these hardships. Verse six, if you are pure and upright, surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate. You see, there's nothing new here. It's the same thing that Eliphaz said, but he says it more emphatically. He says it more clearly. He's more in your face, if you will. He's more confrontational to Job. Job, it's the sin of your children, and it's your sin, and you need to repent. Bildad appeals to conventional wisdom to prove his case. What Bildad and Eliphaz have to say is supported by conventional wisdom. Job 8.8 Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. So, Bildad is calling upon history. He's saying, these things I'm saying to you are self-evident. They are tried and true. We know from generations that have gone before us that what I'm saying to you is true. This was the traditional teaching, and indeed, it was the traditional teaching of the day. So, Bildad calls upon Job to submit to that teaching. A. Job does not have enough of life's experiences to view his situation objectively, is Bildad's charge. For we are only of yesterday and know nothing. Because our days on earth are as a shadow. Job, you haven't lived long enough. You haven't experienced enough of life. You don't know what 
the ancients now. And so Job needs to listen to that conventional wisdom. Job 8.10 Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? So, Job, listen up, pay attention, and uh, do what we say. Three, Bildad asserts that Job's confidence in his righteousness before God is misplaced. Can the papyrus grow up without marsh? Can the rushes grow without water? While it's still green and not cut down, yet it withers before any other plant? So are the paths of all who forget God and the hope of the godless will perish. Implication, you're one who forgot God. You are one of the godless. Job 8.14, whose confidence is fragile, whose trust a spider's web, he trusts in his house, but does not stand. He holds fast to it, but does not endure. He thrives before the sun, his shoots sprout out over his garden, his roots wrap around a rock pile, he grasps a house of stones. If he is removed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I never saw you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the dust of others will spring. Bildad asserts that experience teaches us that God will bless the righteous and bring trouble to evildoers. Job 8.20 Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. If Job will repent, all will go well with him. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter, your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no more. Job, just repent. Quit maintaining your innocence. Quit talking about uh, the goodness of God without coming to a place of repentance. So, Job's response to Bildad. Job 9.1 Then Job answered. First, Job agrees that God is just. No argument there. In truth, I know that this is so. Because how can a man be in right before God? I agree. He is saying to Bildad, God is just. B. Job cannot argue with what God does. If one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him once in a thousand times. God is able to do whatever he desires to do. He is omnipotent. No one can stay his hand, is Job's response. Wise in heart, mighty in strength, who has defied him without harm? It is God who removes the mountains. They know not how. When he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun not to shine, sets a seal upon the stars, who alone stretches out the heavens, tramples down the ways of the sea, who makes the bear, Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without number. Were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. Were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? Who could say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him crouches the helpers of Rahab. So he is asserting God's omnipotence. God is powerful. No one and no thing can stay his hand. Number two, Job has no capability to hold God accountable for what he does. Job is accountable to God, not God to Job. How then can I answer him and choose my words before him? For, for though I were right, I could not answer. I would have to implore the mercy of my judge. 
he says, I can't make a defense before God. I can't, I can't make my case. I can only plead for God's mercy. B, Job is powerless before God. If it is a matter of power, behold, he's the strong one. If it were just an issue, Job says between me and God, and I'm going to have my way because I'm stronger, I'm going to lose. He is powerless. And then verse 20, though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I'm guiltless, he will declare me guilty. So he's saying, I can't defend himself. I can't defend myself before God. Say, God appears to be arbitrary in his dealings. Job maintains his innocence. I am guiltless. I do not take notice of myself. I despise my life. He affirms that he has no guilt in this issue. He says, this is not because of my sin that this is happening. He reaffirms that time and time again. And he's right. It's not. And then he says this. I don't take notice of myself. Meaning, I'm not proud. (laughs) How can you say you're not proud without being proud? Well, it's true. He wasn't being arrogant. He wasn't lifting himself up. He wasn't in a haughty way saying, I am innocent. He really was innocent. He was not bragging. He was stating a fact. He shouldn't be viewed with contempt and rebuked. He's saying, I'm not puffed up. This is the way it really is. He said, I despise my life. Two, God does not distinguish between the guilty and the just in the course of human events. Now Job moves the argument in an entirely different way. The thought is that Eliphaz starts and Bildaz continues, is that God rewards the good and God punishes the unrighteous. And so, calamity comes upon the house of the unrighteous, and blessing comes on the house of the righteous. Job takes issue with that. Number two, God does not distinguish between the guilty and just in the course of human events. It is all one, therefore, I say. He destroys the guiltless and the wicked. If The scourge kills suddenly. He mocks the despair of the innocent. Job's argument is what we find true of God in the New Testament. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You can't look at Lebanon and see who's living righteously by how green their lawn is and who's living unrighteously by how Brown, their lawn is. God, for the most part, does not distinguish in this life between the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, we need to keep that in mind because even in Christian circles, we will hear that 9-11 came as a result of God's judgment. I remember watching during Katrina and uh, some of the people that were being interviewed in New Orleans as the floodwaters came in and, and just wiped out that city 
And people were talking about this is God's judgment. This is God's declaring that he is angered at this unrighteous city. Well, on what basis can you say that? How can you make that determination? Was it God's judgment that the tsunami came upon the Japanese people? We need to be careful in those things. And we need at least to recognize that when those flood waters came in Katrina, it wiped out the houses of godly and ungodly alike. Both groups found themselves in shelters. And that is what Job is teaching us. That just because we are righteous does not mean that God is obligated to bless us. That's why he continues to serve God. Because even though he declares his innocency, he doesn't challenge God's justice in what he's doing. Because God doesn't owe Job anything. And Job understands that. Job understands that it is not a situation where he can plead his case and go against God and say, God, how dare you? How dare you do this to me? He said, I can't do that. I I can't stand up and defend myself before God. D. Job despairs of life because he despairs of proving his innocence before God. Job's life is filled with grief and he cannot pretend otherwise. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They slip by like reed boats, like an eagle that swoops on its prey. Though I say... I will forget my complaint. I will leave off my sad countenance and be cheerful. I'm afraid of all my pains. Job says, I can say I'm going to deny this. I'm going to try to live above it. I'm going to try to not let this affect me. But Job says, I can't do that. I can't pretend that this doesn't hurt. I can't pretend that life isn't miserable. It is. It is. This isn't just an appearance of harm. This isn't just some misunderstanding that, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm feeling sorry for myself and I need to pick myself up on my bootstraps and just get on with life because I'm self-deceived. No, Job says, these things are real. These pains hurt. I can't deny the reality of what I'm experiencing. It's really happening. Two, if Job cannot prove his innocence before his friends, then he surely cannot prove his innocence before God. I'm afraid of all my pains. I know that thou wilt not acquit me. Three, because Job knows that he is innocent, he finds no solace in being told he must seek God in repentance. Job 9.29, I am accounted wicked. Why then should I toil in vain? If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet thou wouldest plunge me into the pit. Job says, I I can wash myself, I can cleanse myself. And here he's using this as a metaphor for spiritually cleansing himself. I can confess my sin all I want. And this isn't going to change my circumstance, is what he says to his friends. And it's true. Because that's not why it's happening. It's true. And we need to understand that. Some things happen to us in life. And we can go and 
and we can examine ourselves and we can confess our sins, that doesn't mean it's going to change the situation in which we find ourselves. We, we find that Job's understanding of the workings of God are really head and shoulders above that of his three friends. On face value, when you just read through the book of Job, you, you can come away and say, you know, what's wrong with what they've said? It sounds pretty good. But when you really start examining it, you realize that, that, that Job and his friends are on two different planes. And Job really has a much greater insight into who God is. And that's why he's being tested. You see, if Bildad and Eliphaz were in this state, they would have been devastated. Because it goes against everything they believe. You see, if they were in Job's shoes, and these trials were coming upon them with their theology... They would have been in despair. But because of Job's theology and understanding who God is and how he works, he is not in despair. He's still trusting God. Can't explain it. But at least he knows that the approach that Bildad and Eliphaz are taking is wrong. E. Job despairs, for there was no one to argue his case before God. Job 9.32 For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to the court together. <laughs> Job says that God is not like me. I can't make my case before God. I can't summon him to the tribunal. Job 9.33 There is no umpire between us. Uh, there is no court of appeal. Who, who is Job going to turn to? To have someone censure God. Who's above God? Job realizes no one. No one. But as an aside, it is Jesus Christ who intercedes for us and pleads our case before the Father. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. But Job is absolutely right. F. Job is unable to argue his own case before God. Let him remove his rod from me. Let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but I'm not like that in myself. So he's saying in himself. In, now he recognizes that, that there is a righteousness that he possesses. He realizes that there is an imputed righteousness that comes from God. But he says, but in myself, I'm not like that. I, I can't in my own righteousness... Stand before God and call him to account. You know, there are some people, I've heard people say already, that when, and they're non-believers, but when they stand before God, they're going to ask him a few questions. You know, they're, they're going to make God give an account for why he's done certain things, why, why he did certain things to them. They feel that they have been unjustly treated. And they're going to tell God a thing or two. No. No. Nobody's going to charge God with anything. No one's going to be able to open their mouth. No one's going to be able to make a defense for themselves. They're going to fall prostrate. They're going to be 
before him as, as nothing. And Job knows that in his own strength and his own righteousness, who's he to stand before God? G. Job seeks to defend himself, not just before his friends, but before God. I loathe my own life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Now, here are some of the darkest moments for Job. First, Job wants God to explain himself. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou dost contend with me. Now, in verse 2, there is a desire to be respectful. I will say to God, do not condemn me. God, don't be angry with me. He's what he is saying. Because he knows he is treading on dangerous ground here. But he's saying, God, don't be angry with me. But let me know why. Let me know why. All Job wants to do is understand why. Because he doesn't have verse, the first chapter. He doesn't know why these things are happening. He knows Bildad and Eliphaz are wrong, but he doesn't have the answer. He can't explain to them what's taking place. And he can't explain it to his wife, and he can't explain it to himself. And he says, don't get angry with me, God, but I'd like to know why. Number two, God questions God, uh, excuse me, Job questions God's justice. Is it right for thee indeed to oppress, to reject the labor of thy hands, to look favorably on the schemes of the wicked? Job wants to know how God is acting any differently than a man acts. Job wonders if God is not judging the way a man does rather than as God should. Hast thou eyes of flesh? Or do you see as a man sees? Are your days as the days of a mortal? Or are years as many as a man? Are you acting like a human being? He's now saying, God, are you like Eliphaz and Bildad? B. If God views Job as guilty, then God is no different from Job's friends. Verse 6. That thou shouldest seek for my guilt and search after my sin. However... However, and this is important, however, Job is confident that God knows that Job is innocent. Verse 7, according to thy knowledge, I am indeed not guilty. He is ascribing to God truthfulness. He is ascribing to God justice. In just a few moments, you see the attitude to, of Job Swings, And I would even be careful to say, did it really swing? Or is he, you know, these, these inner wrestlings that are going on. He's saying, God, if this is the way you view this, you're acting like a man. But he quickly affirms that's not how God acts. And that's not what God is doing. But that leaves him with another question. D, if God knows that Job is not guilty, then why doesn't God deliver him? Yet there is no deliverance from my hand. What Bildad and Eliphaz are saying to him keep taking its toll. 
And the toll is that Job doesn't know why God won't relent. Why God doesn't hear his cry. Why God doesn't answer his prayer. Why God is insensitive to his complaint. He's sure it's not because of his sin. He's confident that this is not God's judgment. He's confident that God is just. He's confident that God is good. So then, why won't God take this away? That is Job's frustration. And I think we can pretty readily identify that. Why wouldn't God answer his prayer? Is what Job wants to know. And so, Job has more questions for God. One, Job wants to know why God created Job only to destroy Job. Thy hands fashioned and made me all together. And wouldst thou destroy me? God, God, why, why did you... Raise me to such an extent. And then just wipe me out. How does that serve your purpose? It does, but Job doesn't know it yet. Number two, Job wants to know why God hides his counsel from Job. Yet these things thou hast concealed in thy heart. Job says, There is more going on here than meets the eye. Job recognizes that God is not capricious. And that God is not arbitrary. Job realizes there are good reasons for what God does. He just doesn't know what they are. But he would love to know what they are. And, and, and you see how Bildad and Eliphaz just add to Job's misery? Because he can't answer them because he can't answer it for himself. And it just adds to the frustration that he already feels in not being able to answer this for himself that now he's got to prove himself before his friends and he can't answer them. And all that he wants is a little humility on their part to say, you know what, guys? You don't have the answer to this either. But they're not willing to accept that yet. But God will bring them to their, to their knees as time goes on. Next, three. Job wants to know why God allowed Job to live. Why then hast thou brought me out of the womb? What is your purpose in all of this? Job is, is going to know that purpose. Job is going to come to a place where he said, Before I heard of thee with the hearing of the, of the ear, now my eye sees thee. Job eventually is going to get Job chapter 1. It's going to be plain to him. He's going to understand it all. And he's certainly going to understand that that God is righteous. So I would submit to you an important truth here. And that is that God 
answers the prayer and lament of Job. God is going to take away all the pain, all the heartache, all the physical suffering, restore his wealth, bring him children, and give him the answer. But right now, the days are long and dark. So, Job despairs of life. I should have been as though I had not been carried from womb to tomb. Job also despairs of death. Would he not let me a few days alone withdraw from me that I may have a little cheer before I go and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow? The land of utter gloom is darkness itself of deep shadow without order and which shines as the darkness. What's interesting here is this is quite different from what Job is going to say just a little while later where he says, uh, Though he slay me, so I serve him, and in my flesh I shall see God. He, kn- he knows he knows of the Redeemer. He knows of the glorious truths of God. But right now, even death is not a solace for Job. Dark days. But God is going to raise the curtain. God is going to show him. I say to you, we may go through dark days. And we may really wonder what God is doing. May God sustain us. May we recognize, first of all, His sovereignty as Job did. You know, a lot of people's explanation for 9-11, even Christians, was this was not God's will. This was the free will of man running amok. Job had enough sense to realize nothing happens beyond the control of God. So, Job just simply says, this is what God is doing. I I tell you, whatever is happening in your life, just remember, it's not outside the control of God. That should be a tremendous source of comfort to us. It can be tremendously frustrating, but we don't know why. But at least we know that that is true. And, I would submit to you that one day, We are going to fully understand. Just as the curtain was raised for Job and he was able to see what God is doing. I believe that is a very integral part to when we stand before him. Then we shall know him fully even as we are fully known. And we shall be like him. That doesn't mean we're going to be omniscient. But I think it means that we're going to at least understand all that God was doing in our life and the life of others. One day, we'll get it. One day, we will understand. One day, all of our questions will be answered. And we will agree with God in what He has done. We will affirm Him. And we will praise Him for what He has done. May God give us the grace to persevere in the dark hours. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word and help us to remain faithful to you no matter what it is that comes into our lives. Give us real understanding of who you are and what you do so that we are not just totally wiped away as some people are whose theology just leaves them 
without an answer, leaves them shorthanded. Uh, their understanding of who and what you are and how you work proves to be less than satisfying in times of distress and difficulty. Preserve us and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.